Hello and welcome to this episode of the coaching podcast from British Canoeing. So um, welcome to the latest edition of the British Canoeing Coaching Podcast. My name is uh, Sid Sinfield and I'm a performance coach developer with British Canoeing. And today I'm joined by Marianne Davis. So uh, hi Marianne, thanks for joining us. Hi um, Sid. Good, good. So um, you gave one of the keynote speeches at our conference back in November, but uh since then, you've had a bit of a change of roles. So, do you want to just outline what your what your current role is? Um, slightly different to when you were you were presenting. <laughs> yes. So, um, I've had a yeah. My world has changed quite dramatically since then, actually. So, I am currently uh, still doing my part time PhD, looking at skill acquisition, skill development in complex sports, and I am now a full time senior coach developer with UK Coaching. Okay. So that. Are you managing to combine the two together? That's uh, going to be a busy timetable. Yes, I'm not noticing the lockdown. <laughs> yeah. So, well, hopefully, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll make this as, as swift as we can. But what, one of the main things, I suppose, that came from the uh, keynote speech, uh, which was, you know, very thought, thought-provoking for a lot of people that attended, um, since then, when I've chatted to them, people have really wanted to help bring alive what that might look like in application. Um, also, I suppose we need to bear in mind that not everybody listening to the podcast will have been at the presentation. So, so maybe if we, um, if we f- refer back to the presentation, you might want to just explain a little bit uh, if you're using that as a as a context. Really, that'd be useful. But before we do that, can we just uh, open up with um, um, uh, about? Uh, I'll start. I'll start again and, and speak in English before we explore <laughs> the application of engagement and motivation. Could you provide uh, listeners with some background about the importance of motivation and intention for developing creative and adaptive expertise as you see it or as your research is is uh, unpacking? Yeah, certainly. And um, and that's becoming um, more and more um, focused, actually, as I as I sort of dig deeper into the research and also into the work that I'm doing with UK coaching. And, and basically, um, sort of a, in sort of an overview of that is that you in order for someone to have the confidence to explore and be creative they need to be an environment that supports that and an environment that supports creativity needs to be one that is felt or experienced as being safe from a sort of human motivation perspective so it's an environment that people feel that they, um, so it's not just physically safe, although that might be the case if you're talking about paddle sports, but it's safe for you as a human in terms of your, um, you know, your competence, your relatedness with the other people around there, the way in which they're going to engage with you, that uh, it's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to do things differently, it's okay, you know, that you have got some control over the complexity and I think we'll probably pick that up again a little bit differently I'm really sorry about the noise as so the two key things um we talk about intentionality and motivation so I'll start with motivation and when I talk about motivation I'm talking about creating optimal learning environments for people to become what we call self-determined which is to to be um driving their own behavior doing something because they want to do it they've chosen to do it and 
And the basic theory of self-determination, and I can give some, some stuff for people to go and read after the podcast if they're interested, basically says that we've got three basic needs as human beings. One of them is for us to have some control and decision-making, um, so we've got autonomy, that we feel that we're connected to the people that we're involved with, so it's about relatedness, and we're valued by them. And then, and that fits in with a lot of stuff on social learning. And then the third one is to be able to um, be competent in that environment. So that links in then to that level of, of um, challenge as well. There's some great stuff that a woman called uh, Dr. Alison Gopnik has done on um, artificial intelligence. And basically, one of the key things that she says is that motivational learning environment where you can explore is what the main difference in terms of creative expertise between human beings and and machine learning algorithms which basically get outsmarted by a four-year-old and the difference is that human beings have a supportive learning environment as children that means they can basically just explore they can ask that question what happens if you know i eat mud pies i do this or whatever you know rather than being constrained to solve a particular problem so mm -hmm. that's the first bit the idea that you have an environment that makes it safe to fail in, safe to explore in, safe to be curious in. The intentionality bit then is fascinating. And there's some great stuff certainly with Dr. Jennifer Fraser and other people that, that show that if you engage in something through that intentionality, it completely changes the way our neural system operates. There's something very different about um, this focused intention to explore compared to a trying to do something correct or trying to not doing something or feeling threatened and she does this she does some great stuff on um you know when when you're not stressed about performance and you're actually engaged in curiosity then it changes our whole neural system so there's some incredible research that backs this all up as well you know so when you're, when you're talking about the um, um you know the, the intentionality is that the the um like the participant intentionality or the, the, the coach giving them some intentionality because that's that could be uh, the two sides there, isn't it? that they could set out to there's something they want to learn or yes they can be given to them by the coach so how, how would you how do you unpack those two? i think that until that the coach can start doing that but i like um the, there's a great phrase of providing handrails instead of handcuffs that when a coach yeah, yeah. tries mm -hmm. to invite in, um, you know, invite intentionality, it should be as a handrail to something that the athlete or participant then engages in themselves. But the, it's the athlete's intentionality or the participant's intentionality that, that that fundamentally changes the way in which they engage in an environment and learn. And, that, um, and, and, and that's driven by their motivation. So, so uh, just I'm thinking back to a. How does for example? So we've got my novice who 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 wants to learn to be able to paddle in a straight line because they've seen other people doing. It and they want to participate in that the game, the ball game, or whatever. So yeah. that's an example of they they now have the intentionality to to uh, invest the energy in, in exploring how that might turning yeah you know, how they might actually conquer that skill or master of that skill and be able to go in a straight line. Yeah, for sure. Um, if they're, if they're paddling with um, that sort of like, oh, I wonder what's happened there, rather than, oh, my God, that's wrong. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your hand's not in the right place. It should be They're there. They're not in the right place. And that's the bit yeah. that changes. It's, it seems so subtle, but actually it dramatically changes the whole way in which we learn. And so as a coach, we kind of then need to, and we'll probably get to this with some of the other questions, we need to think about how we set up then a learning environment and a learning task that that allows, allows somebody to, to explore and be successful. So, so I'm just I'm just going to pick up a little bit on that one. So, so in in terms of a, a, again a practical ac application, so we know that there are more efficient mechanisms for forward paddling. Uh, if I was to handrail somebody by giving them the an area that they might find success in, as opposed to they have to do it exactly the way I'm doing it, but I can give them the, the back of the boat might be more successful in directional control than the front. Yes. But you can work out, you know, how that works, you know, so I can I can, I suppose, hand by, rather than leaving them completely on their own uh, and opting out of coaching. I can give them some areas to explore. Is that that, that is that a, a reasonable interpretation of that? Yes, definitely. And I think that's incredibly important with coaching, because um, I think a lot of coaches at the moment are sort of a bit confused about what on the one hand telling somebody and on the other hand, abandoning them to. Mm -hmm find it themselves and I like to think about providing handrails into an appropriately sized search space for the learner oh. or from yeah, the yeah. coach so mm -hmm. I, and, and if they look like they're still struggling I might make that search space a bit smaller and I could do that by giving hints and hints maybe I could do it by hanging you know like trailing a piece of um rope from the back of their boat so that yeah. the boat less wibbly you know so there are yeah. lots of ways in which I can reduce the search space but what's really important is to 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 think about a search space that they can actually actively explore mm -hmm. okay so that, that so that's what you mean by those handrails uh, uh, I suppose um that goes back to the the uh, early part of this uh, discussion that practical examples and helping people to to turn the the language into oh that means that yeah there is some ambiguity in there at times with oh well it's either i tell them exactly what to do or i just give them the boat and the paddle and say off you go and come back when you're better and um, which, which is a type of learning but it's not necessarily uh, you know, as it were no yeah. and yeah no and i would and and i would you know say that's probably in many ways it's probably even worse than trying to tell somebody what to do you know because yeah. you know it's almost impossible for for people to discover something unless they've got some structure and some some um handrails and an, like say an appropriately sized um problem to explore or search i call it search space to explore but what's I, what I believe is really important is that when they're exploring, it doesn't necessarily need to be, I need to reduce the error in the straight line. It's like, what happens when I do this? What happens when I do that? What happens if I do bigger, bigger you know, paddle strokes or I do smaller ones or I change my weight position? Because then they're creating a sort of rich map, as it were, mm -hmm. of... of um, we call it perception action coupling, but it's basically just understanding what happens when they do different things. And then from there, they can then choose to either go in a straight line or turn or, or anything else. But it's just changing. It's just reframing some of those um, elements. And, and I know you want to sort of have a little look about sort of um, the individual yeah, I, data that goes nicely into your second question. But um, yeah, can I just just I will go on to this. I'm just a, a, a really useful terminology. I think because I think it, it's maybe uh, ideal now. This 
that the term perception action coupling um, is maybe the the um, the academic slant on that. But if we were, would it be a reasonable paraphrase to say if this happens, <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I if I feel if I um, put that much energy in and I do it in this way, this is the output. I, is that what you mean by linking what I do to the outcome that it produces? Because uh, I think again, there's sometimes really? jargon people. <laughs> get intimidated by but yeah is that a reasonable paraphrase or, or? that's partly but what what okay. what it, um it's not just because what you said is what i do makes this what i do within an environment makes this yeah. mm -hmm. so yeah, that's yeah. the bit that's coupled so what we do is embedded within environment so the water would be doing one thing and you're doing another yeah yeah it's it, yeah. going to happen on a different piece of water and so mm -hmm. it, it's about that it's about connecting the behavior with the in, the information in the environment that the person at that level of ability is able to perceive and use so yeah. a real skilled paddler will look at a piece of water and probably see loads of opportunities mm -hmm. to do lots of things somebody who's less skilled might go i could straight line it <laughs> And somebody yeah, yeah. who's never paddled will look at it and go, I'm not going anywhere near that. It looks horrific. Yeah. So, so we look at that with effectively, we could look at the same thing with different eyes, depending upon our experience. Because exactly. I, I pick up more information from some environments because of yeah. my, uh, the amount of times I've per perceived and coupled those four. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's direct. We don't see something the same and then make a different interpretation. When we look at it, we see something different. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I will now move on to the second question. <laughs> I think we're kind of there now. I think we're, we've as we're recently we've put big emphasis on the individual and um, and that we are um, uh, coaching is about um, an individual uh, practice really with a coach and there. Could you give us some examples of what a coach might do um, to better understand the individuals that they're that they're working so so that they can inform how they're going to approach them in a coaching context. Yeah, certainly. So I think I think probably the most important bit here is for the coach to always start from um, from recognizing that they need to be curious about learning about the individual. Um, mm. And it's really nice that you know, sort of, certain bits you know, have moved away from the idea that we're going to have this perfect technical template, which is probably an elite athlete male, and we're going to just do the same thing for everybody. That, that recognizing that we have um, a huge in individuality, there's so much complexity in that. So really interesting. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the with the motivational side again. So I always do this Maslow before Bloom. So we're gonna start with sort of like bigger picture. So what are the motivation, the goals? Is it do they feel safe in this environment? And we feel safe in different environments. So an environment that maybe you feel safe in. Maybe um, a woman with less, and I'm saying a woman because we tend not to feel as safe in the same environments. Mm. <laughs> might not. They might find that environment actually quite intimidating, but it's very nurturing for you know for the people who are in it already. So recognizing that actually the environment is that safe learning environment, going back to the motivational one, will look different for different people. And this is where I think those conversations need to go beyond the, you know, what's your goal? Oh, I want to paddle in a straight line. Um, so it's got to be sort of a wider and then again creating a safe learning environment for that individual what it means to them 
building those relationships. You know, Jowett's done some brilliant stuff on that, hasn't she? Um, mm -hmm. I was really um, delighted that um, one of the paddle sports coaches wrote an article, a blog article for UK Coaching recently about, you know, becoming a, a, a SUP coach going through the menopause. You okay. Know, that, that required a whole level of individuality and for her to be brave enough to talk to the two guys who were assessing her about what was going yeah. on with her so that they didn't just sort of like go, oh, you know, she's not up to this. She should go and play tiddlywinks type thing. Yeah, and yeah. what her lived experience was at that moment in time. And I think that's the biggest thing a coach can do. What is the, the lived experience of that individual and how can I meet them where they are and then handrail, give them handrails to take them on a journey somewhere else? I, th I think there, there's a there is a there's, for me yeah, this may be a, a frame as a question but there's two sides in there because there's as a coach I can try to um, learn about the individual but they will also have preconceptions about me as yeah. as the coach and uh, their expectations yeah. maybe of what coaching is or or what a man that looks like me behaves like normally so yes. there's there is a a degree of having to um, to understand them but also projecting the right um image as as an a coach that's on their side and uh, not one that's going to judge them you know and i think that's a the two sides of it. we've got to consider their perceptions as well as the you know me trying to understand them yeah absolutely and i think that's a big part of creating a safe learning environment is recognizing the way in which we might be perceived and and we're having loads of conversations at the moment about creating those safe learning environments and and the way in which as a coach or coach developer we might be perceived remotely when all the things that I normally do to make a safe learning environment don't exist anymore and there's and there's a completely different set of um kind of like social and social cultural and uh you know confidence things that go with that different learning environment but that's a little bit off piste yeah, yeah. Well, um, I suppose on that there is an advantage is that there's nobody to fail in front of you know <laughs> I can yeah, but... slightly and you can't see me. <laughs> uh, if, if you're watching me do some of the exercise in my garden recently uh you failing so, uh, so, so can, can we just can we go a bit further on that then so how can we make these spaces safe for our learners so that they're safe i mean we obviously have a very strong emphasis on physical safety because because yes. of the environment but but, yeah. but more than that how can we make these spaces you know emotionally safe for people uh, so that so that they can um, engage in that learning in the way you've the way you've framed it there's i think there are a lot of things the picking up on the self-determination theory, um, I find that for me is a really useful thing. So I'll go through this little checklist and say, am I giving them decisions? Can they opt out of what I'm framing or are they co-creating it with me? So mm -hmm. that makes somebody feel safe. They're not stuck in, in somewhere where they can't get out of. They're not stuck in a situation that they cannot, they haven't got a decision to change it. Mm -hmm. um, and so as much as possible, either having a discussion with them about what's happening but also sort of being able to ramp up and ramp down the challenge of what they're doing and this then will lead in i mean your questions are superbly put together i have to say <laughs> um so that links in into that i think the other bit is is building that relationship and building it and we do you know sophia jarrett talks about it in those more long term and and with um, you know, a coach-athlete relationship in the more traditional sports where the coach might be with somebody all the time. But as an adventure sports coach and a paddle sports coach, we often have to do that in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. 
don't we? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and again, um, you know, being able to, people recognising that, that you as a coach recognize other individual bits. So we can go on to the, you know, the more obvious ones, like, you know, the, the fact that I'm a different size and shape and have a, have a different, um, a different motor skill background to you or to somebody else. So my solutions might be different and that mm -hmm. my current solutions may or may not be as functional as they, they could be, but, but to know that a coach, it, it recognizes where I am. And that we're all individual. So, and again, that is something that really comes through in the British canoeing stuff now. And that um, you know, and that it—it's it, not just what I'm doing physically, but me becoming attuned to an environment that I can make decisions in. Mm -hmm. So is the so, water. I mean, I've had I've had epics on water where I've just ended up leaning back and looking at them. I mean, certainly, Branson Gorge always comes to mind. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh my God, I'm going to survive. Just, just, just um, can I, uh, this is another area that I suppose I'd, I'd quite like your, your take on it, really, because it's it's an area that when I'm training um, coaches or, or discussing with coaches, particularly if they're working with the kind of teenage uh, group, um, they'll they'll talk a lot about um, engaging the young or the you know the young adults in in the content, but they get met with, oh, I don't really care, like you you choose, and 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 sometimes that that. The, the coaches misinterpret that, that that is still empowering if if the teenager gives you permission to make the choice for them then that's yeah. and, and sometimes they'll say well you do it you organize it yeah you know what you're doing and that might be the the, the yeah. misinterpreted by some coaches that oh no they're not taking ownership of this session and they are they're just allowing you to do it for them yeah. <laughs> but they're yeah. that choice. and i think that's an interesting <laughs> um, point to make isn't it regarding it groups that don't want don't want to be in charge you know that yeah, they yeah. want you to, to get on with it and if you try and force somebody to make their decisions when they don't want to then that's not a safe space either you know we're kind of like going and again in this virtual thing we're going, it's okay if somebody wants to turn up and ghost we shouldn't we shouldn't manipulate the environment that pressurizes them into being uncomfortable or doing something yeah. they don't want to do. I think on that teenager bit, um, I, I definitely agree. And I think a lot of people also arrive thinking that the role of a coach is to give them the answer. But sometimes that's because of the, the, the previous learning and our, the whole way our education system works. It's just about giving drilling information into us that we then regurgitate or trying to make everybody look the same little robots. So, Again, you need, to, when I talk about meeting people where they're at, that's exactly what that is. Mm -hmm. And if that's where they're at, then that's absolutely fine. But I, as a coach, I still sort of like, go, okay, now, now my, if I had a group of teenagers or some teenagers like that, my challenge would be, how do I, how do I explain the session where I give them, I make that search place smaller for them to begin with, and I give them much more structure and it's much more led by me. But by the end of the session, I want if I've done a good job, I'll be in their session. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I and hand that over by engaging their curiosity, their play drive, their, you know, making it safer for them so that they feel it's okay for them to start making more decisions in that session. Yeah. But and then, 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 uh, feeling that they're allowed to, uh, to, to leave yeah. um, because that might not be the, their, their lived experience in a, in the school setting, for instance. Although I think, Increasingly, schools are engaging in that uh, ownership of learning as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and but like you say, recognizing that if they're not, if that's not the, where they're at at that moment in time, that's perfectly fine as well. Yeah, 
you know, that's absolutely perfectly fine. And, and yeah, so I think that covers most of those. And it just goes back to that, you know, I, and I, I do, it's become a bit of a mantra that I pinched from the Australians, which is the Maslow before bloom, you know, so even if we're thinking about, a, you know, I've, in, in my research, I've added two extra stages of learning at the beginning mm-hmm. of the physical ones, and that is engage and then create this motivate this motivational learning environments. Yeah. Um, and so I keep always coming back. If if something goes wrong, I'm always going to fix that before I then worry about something techie skill acquisition. <laughs> I think that's also though it's it, because of that um, uh, having that approach, you're going to um, encourage self analysis from the beginning, kind of understanding. Um, how they're uh, helping them to understand their performance from the very get-go um, means that actually they'll learn faster in the. So while you said you might have added a few steps ahead of uh, yeah. ahead of the, the previous models, actually it speeds up the latter stages of, of any of those models, doesn't it? Because they they really understand and they understand possibly even how they best learn something. So so they'll they'll be able yeah. to on those sessions when you're not there exactly cool. exactly and yeah absolutely and that's and and again in in analyzing a performance i try and look at somebody and instead of doing the old fashions there's my template and i'm going to error correct them to something mm. that they that, that they may never be able to do you know if it's a child they're not going to error correct to this you know olympic male athlete template mm. anyway i'm going to look at them and go this is where they're at now and that's fine. That's that's functional. What's what is it that they're trying to resolve? So sometimes, or a lot of the time in paddle sports, it might be dynamic balance or control. So these you know simple things, and go, all right. So how can I help build on that rather than error cor- thinking about error correcting? Yeah, yeah. And again, just that subtle changes in language gives them permission to feel to explore and do other stuff because. Um, I'm not coming from the, the the start point that what they're doing at the moment is is wrong. I can just hear one other um, kind of question that, I, that I've, I've had put to me, really, um, uh, when we're talking about, you know, putting the learner in charge and um, really starting from where they're at, is when you have multiple learners in front of you and all in different places and they... And we've got some that just want to be told, and then we've got some that want to be left uh, uh, to to discover. But you've yeah. run this one session with everybody, and um, yeah. that can create um, uh, tension, really, for the coach to 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 be able to meet all of those needs. So, any 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 advice on that kind of solution? <laughs> yeah, I think that coaches then. <laughs> Again, I know that in the past, you know, people have talked about um, learning styles as being visual auditory. So we're, I'm going to say right off the bat, absolutely don't agree with any of that. But yeah, yeah. I, I, what we can do as a coach is set something up that is a little bit looser and the people who have got more experience scaffolded in there and maybe feel confident might go off and then and then keep actually giving more information to reduce that search space for somebody, more handrails for people mm. as they go along until they find somewhere they're comfortable exploring. And again, I think that, um, and we can do this with coaches. So when we're doing coach development, actually, we we, we can't expect um, somebody who's a new coach to feel as confident about being as open and exploratory as somebody who's been coaching a long time. Yeah. And um, and 
and I, you know, one of the things I really try and do is, is, um, you know, make sure that I'm saying, you know, but there is no exact answer. There's a few different ones, and I'm, you know, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try something and see what happens. Gonna, and I might have guessed something that's not not what we need to resolve, and then I'm going to try something else and see what happens. And actually, if you have that conversation with the athlete, they're often a lot more open to you as a coach. It, more uh, yeah. I think what you what you've alluded to there is one of the the the, the, the bits the information I kind of uh, try to help uh, novice or more more uh, less experienced coaches with is it's about getting the session structure right so that you can attend to individuals within that session so, so by having them all together often that's really hard to give them individual input and respond to how they need to so yeah. it is that classic juggling or, or spinning plates <laughs> if you try and do them all at the same time they're going to come crashing down whereas you need to yeah. have session structure right and then you can actually do that individualized coaching and it doesn't matter how experienced a coach you are the more you have the harder it is so 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 maybe then thinking about grouping learners that that yeah. might do something together just when when you're pressed with that attention span that a normal human being has there's only so many people we can attend to at once so i suppose that's where really where i come from when i'm trying to help uh, more junior coaches be able to take on the principles you've said in coaching individuals yeah. but i'm faced with i've got eight and you kind of go well how about instead of eight think about that as uh, four twos yeah, uh, and then have them in four little groups of two um, and pair them off you know that 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 kind of a way of of, of helping spread the load um because because then they're more likely to connect with a eat with four pairs than they are in the, yeah that, yeah the reasonable, yeah reasonable still fitting in with your you know the person in front of you yeah absolutely and there we you know again we, we learn within a social context so the the thing there i think is to the caveat there is to just think about who you pair them up with and and what you frame as their focus for each other so you yeah, haven't yeah. got to, you know ripping someone else to shreds or um, and, yeah, and yeah. i think it's, you know and again sort of like thinking about if you've only got one or you know one two females allow them the option to be together instead of insisting on splitting them up so you spread yeah, yeah. them around you know just those little things <laughs> that goes back to the way we said of being having a secure environment so if they're yeah if they're choosing their groups it doesn't does it really matter if there's a three a three and a two or, or do yeah. they have to be in pairs it's that is that example and exactly, controlling yeah. and 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 yeah. thinking about what's their best environment to learning yeah and as a coach that you you know your role is still is still looking at that secure learning environment. And so I was just going to, I think we've covered some really interesting ground there. So effectively, if I kind of say back to you what, what I think we've summarised, uh, really is, uh, and you, you correct me, is it's all about the individual. So we need to create that connection with the individual and thinking about creating a safe physical space, safe emotional space for them. And for some individuals, that might be you making decisions early on. Yeah. But for others, they'll be involved in that process from the get-go. And then I suppose once we get a bigger group of people, we need to think a little bit more about our session structure to allow us to, to attend to those individuals. But don't get don't get constrained by a, being a controlling coach just because the numbers are big. You might need to control for safety. 
but there's also other mechanisms we can use. Is that uh, is that seem reasonable the way we've we've gone through there? Because it was about bringing what you were saying into a into a practical examples, you know, for people to to, to interpret. Is that reasonable? Have I? Yeah, no, that, <laughs> that's a great summary. I think the only thing I'd add to that, though, as well, is if you've got, you know, eight people, 10 people, just to recognize that you're not going to be able to give them the same depth of individual coaching as you are with one or two. So you yeah. don't need to do that, you know, just think. And that might be the case if it's a one off session, but if there are 10 that you coach regularly, then over that time, you will know them individually and you'll know which ones need a bit more attention at the beginning of the session. Which ones in the session, and which ones just you know a bit of a TLC towards the end of the session, you know? So you get know who to who to apportion your energy in when uh, it is hard when they're unknown, all unknown. You know that, that is that is the the, the tricky part of, uh, of cold coaching. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, all of these things, uh, you know, relate to the coach because remember the coach is also an individual within this, and and. Mm-hmm. Um, that as we spoke about earlier you know the, the the key thing with the coach or certainly from coach development or coach educator perspective is to give handrails initially so some structure that allows you to then explore things and to not be afraid of making a mistake because obviously as long as you don't put people off and give them horrific experience yeah. I think you've, you've really you've hit on one of the things that I always uh, I, is for coaches to know themselves as well because you need to understand yourself if uh, if you're going to a uh, uh, start understanding people and 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 how they how they are going to interpret you and from their meeting. So I, I often you know do you know yourself well enough to be a coach? Is it's quite a useful uh, thing to think about as well. Yeah, for sure. Right. So uh, that thanks to that, Marianne. That was a I enjoyed that. I hope that wasn't too too long a time for you. You can, <laughs> but, but, but <laughs> I've enjoyed that. I think it's a it's certainly a it's about answering some of the questions that posed to me following the, the presentation so um, um i'd like to thank you for turning up and um we'll tune into your new uk coaching role and the podcast there thank you very much <laughs>